our first reading today is from Micah 6, 6 to 8. It is on page 779 in your pew Bibles. Micah 6, 6 to 8, page 779. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The next reading is from Matthew 5, 1-16. It is on page 809 in your few Bibles. Matthew 5, 1-16, page 809. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely in my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Thanks, Jabez. Well done. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. I pray you would open our hearts uh, to hear it and to receive it today. Lord, as we look at the Bible, may it be more than just looking for information or looking for a moral guidebook, or looking for a resource to model. But Lord, may it spur in us an encounter with you, that we'd be transformed by you, God, the one who loves to meet and dwell with us. And I pray that as we spend this time this morning together in your word, you would grow in us more and more to look like Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Keith, I forgot the water. Do you want to bring them? <laughs> he said, here's water for you. And I said, brilliant. But I promptly forgot it was there. Thank you. <clears throat> Got it. 
How are you doing? You're okay. So I'm exhausted. <laughs> so uh, just uh, both Sarah and I are a bit... This is just life with kids, right? Like little kids. We're just in this constant state of being tired. So I don't know about the rest of you. So basically I'm saying nothing's new. I'm not especially exhausted differently. It's just this is how I am always. Her more than me. Anyway, so if I stumble around my words or like think of in a different book of the Bible, just just extend grace. Like, it's okay, man. We love you. Thank you. Bless you. Carry on. So that's where I'm at this morning. But all is well. Other thing that is actually different is I actually prepared a PowerPoint this Sunday, which I don't normally do because I'm such a perfectionist. I'd spend all week trying to tweak it to be just right that I won't actually write a sermon <laughs> or do anything else worthwhile. So anyway, I didn't do that this week. I did make a PowerPoint, which is unusual for those reasons. Um, because I had some scriptures that I wanted us to go to that I thought would be helpful to see. And so I've done that. But I might not do that every week. So don't get too excited. If you just love PowerPoint, like this is just your jam, I'm so sorry. I was not good at it. And uh, they totally messed me up. But anyway, it's there. And I, I told Jordan I wouldn't single him out. But by saying that, just now I have. So I'm so sorry. But Jordan's going to, he'll be awesome. And uh, he actually has my sermon follow along, which is brilliant. Well done. And, um, but I'll probably mess it up entirely. So extend grace to Jordan and to me. If, if we just get totally lost in this. We are in a new series called Fresh Start, which we've, oh my goodness. Can we turn the spotlights down just slightly? Is that possible? Thank you. Just kind of, boy, whoa, my tired eyes went, whoa, what time of day is it? Thank you, James. That's awesome. I can still see you. We are in a new series called Fresh Start, which we started at the beginning of the year, uh, talking about our new life in Christ. Jesus has come. We celebrate this at Christmas. The season following Christmas is often typically called Epiphany in the church calendar. And it's a season for reflecting on the light that Jesus brings to our lives, his, his humanity and his divinity, what he's come to do. And so through this next few weeks, in this Fresh Start series, we're going to be talking about the Sermon on the Mount specifically and the way that Jesus invites us into new life but also calls us to live. And the theme passage for this series is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 19, which says, Anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. When you come to Jesus, it's meant to be more than just sort of uh, a shift in your priorities or like here's the spiritual element of my life. I'm spiritual, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, you hear people say, right? So I've kind of got the spiritual thing, but I'm not really sure about the rest of it. Uh, Christianity is not like that. In Christianity, as we give ourselves to the living God, as we welcome Jesus into our lives, who is alive and well today, and seated at the right hand of the Father, as we welcome him, as we repent of sin and believe in his name, he actually begins to transform us and comes to dwell within us. So we get a fresh start, we're created new, the old life is gone, meaning your old life of being enslaved to sin is fundamentally gone. Yes, we sometimes return to sin, but that is by our own choice, knowing better. We all struggle with this. But the old life is gone, and a new life burgeons or begins or blossoms, not just for you individually, but God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, through Jesus, giving a fresh start to the world by offering forgiveness of sins. That makes all the difference. When we can be freed from our slavery to sin and death, we can enter into new life with God. Last week we reflected on 
uh, Jeremiah's vision of God sort of gathering people and rescuing people. And then we talked about Jesus gathering and calling the disciples, inviting them into new life, manning them into following him and, and all that that's involved with. And we talked also about how God is calling us, inviting us to be disciples and all that that means for us. Today we're going to head more into the meat of the discussion. What does it mean to actually live into the fresh start that God has for us? And we have two passages which Jabez has read for us very well. We're going to talk a little bit about Micah 6, 6 to 8, which is a fairly famous passage, or well-known, I should say, passage. Lots of people are aware of. And then I want to look at this next episode in Matthew's Gospel as Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to make some connections between the two. There's always this... This question in the human heart, which is, if there's a God, what on earth does he expect of me? And Micah 6, 6 begins with that fundamental question of human existence, with what shall I come before the Lord? That's the question that people have in every age. And in the ancient Near World, in the Near Eastern world, uh, you would have pagan gods that you would try to deal with. I say try to because you never quite knew what they were going to do. You would sort of show up, you would try and offer a sacrifice of some kind, you you try and get the God on your side. They are distant and volatile and violent and brutal and not friendly at all, but you want your props to succeed so you can make your offering to the God, hope that he gets on your side, hope that what you do kind of wins favor. And we we may think that's sort of backwards, but I think often we come with the same attitude. We come to God and we ask, how can I come before the Lord? What should I do to bow myself before the Lord? And we think of it sometimes as this sort of impersonal exchange that I need to sort of buy for favor from God. I need to sort of give him a certain thing or act a certain way and then God will do things for me. Um, but that fundamentally ignores the biblical emphasis on having a relationship with the living God. When you think of a relationship with God or a, it's not even a relationship at that point, some sort of, it's just sort of a transaction, you know? God's sort of out there and then I do this thing and then God blesses me. We've actually ignored the strong emphasis in the scripture of God wanting to be with us and inviting us to be with him. Uh, God is a personal being, not just someone we sort of make transactions with. Uh, an impersonal exchange. That's actually sort of the pagan view. So the God of the Bible calls us to something much, much different. And you'll see here in Micah 6, 6 and 7, the writer is wondering, how do I come before the Lord? Do I come like the old gods? Do I come just to sort of buy for favor? And so he asks in verse 6, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Verse 7, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Starting to escalate a little bit, right? And then really escalate. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Notice how we it's it's gone from you know burnt offering to thousands of rams to like rivers, like it's gone from something feasible to actually escalating to absurdity. Right? Should I do all of this? And it ends in sort of outrage, right? Do I give my own children to try and win over God's favor? The idea here is Micah is exposing this attitude that sees a relationship with God or offering sacrifice or worship to God as a way of kind of getting an entry fee, like I do this and then God does something. 
rather than an avenue for God to extend forgiveness to us. And we're reminded here in verse 8, here's what God ultimately desires of us. He's told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. We get the emphasis here that God's not interested just in burnt offerings to try and demonstrate your faithfulness. It's too easy for those things to remain sort of outward practices in our lives, but but to miss the transformation of the heart. Oh, I did all the religious things, but my heart has remained distant or sinful. We can focus on the external practices, but not our inner life with God. And so he calls people to do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. The only way you can do those things by allowing God to actually come in to transform your life, to let that fruit grow in you from the inside out. We hear this throughout the Bible. There's a couple of verses here, Matthew 23, 23. I think I have it there. Oh, look at that. Well done, Jordan. We're a team. Brilliant. Here's Jesus' words on the same sort of theme. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. You tithe the mint and the dill and the cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, right? So here we are, same sort of idea. Now the Pharisees are busy doing the external practices very well, right? Down to the exact little amount of mint. Like we're talking herbs, right? Like little. There's my tent. And I'm portioning it out. Give that to God. You're so good at that but you don't know how to pursue a love of justice and mercy and faithfulness. It's, our hearts are so slippery, right? We can be so good at doing the right things externally, but miss out internally on what God would have for us. These things you ought to have done, says Jesus. Hosea 6.6, 6, I think that's there too. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Do you get the theme here? God's not after just you being a religious sort of person. Those, those, some of those external acts are very important. But when they're divorced from a change of heart, a change of attitude internally, they lose their meaning. This is the case with spiritual disciplines too. Disciplines, prayer, fasting, solitude, simplicity, they are only uh, worthwhile in, in, insofar as they bring us into relationship with God and kind of help us connect with God. Then they, that's it. Their job is to sort of usher us into God's presence and help us, help our souls connect with Jesus. They don't have value in and of themselves. The point is they connect us to God and help foster in us the with God life. I love this quote. This is Isaiah 1, 13 to 17. This is the message in Eugene's translated with a, with a great sort of whimsy to it. Quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games. Monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. How many of you feel like that's your work life, right? Meetings, meetings, meetings. I can't stand one more. I'm sick of your religion, 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 while you go right on sinning. And that's the key. Have I got the next one there too? Yeah. Go home and wash up. Clean up your act. Sweep your lives clean of your evil doing so I don't have to look at them any longer. Say no to wrong. Learn to do good. Work for justice, help the down and out, stand up for the homeless, go to bat for the defenseless. God is looking for us to have a character of love and virtue that then spills out 
into a love for others. It means a change from the inside out. And this is a new way of doing things, right? Instead of, instead of having some sort of a transactional relationship with God where we hope to sort of do something to twist God's arm to make him like us, uh, Jesus calls us instead into a new kind of life that's marked by the character, the good character of the living God. This is what image bearing is. We're meant to image forth God's character of goodness and, and beauty and life in the world. Wherever he's planted you, you're called to image forth God's character in that place, to reflect him. And so to walk with compassion and justice and mercy, and faithfulness and humility with God in relationship with him. Listen to Micah 6, 8. This is in the message as well. Micah 6, 6 and 8. Uh, same passage, just in a paraphrase sort of translation. He's already made it plain how to live and what to do. What God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what's fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. Don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. I think that's great. So the key here is this. God's not interested in religious games and you sort of being spiritual for a sort of a self-help kind of sake. But God wants our whole hearts. God wants our whole lives. God wants to radically transform and change us. And he does that as we surrender to Jesus, as we repent of sins, we believe and let him come and transform us. It's a process. It doesn't happen all at once. Yes, we're forgiven and saved, but that process of letting go of our sinful habits and our sinful ways is a lifelong thing. We call it the journey of sanctification, right? As we let God sort of go deeper and deeper into our hearts, he exposes, sort of opens up the closet that you don't want him to see. No, thank you, Jesus. I don't like you going in there. And he says, ha ha, there it is. And he holds out uh, these sorts of things that we'd, we'd rather him not deal with, and yet he does. He calls us to new life and washes us clean. So we call to live a new sort of in a new sort of way to live faithfully for God, but also with God. We don't just sort of do this without Him. We do it in His power and by His Spirit. And it's, it is a marked sort of love for others, right? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly for God. There's a sense of living it out, letting it spill out, not just sort of. I want a relationship with God so I can be blessed and therefore I feel good and happy inside. But no, God actually wants to transform you so you can then go and extend his love and grace to wherever you've been planted in the world. And in doing so, point people back to Jesus. With that in mind, listen to how Jesus teaches in Matthew 5. He's picking up the same theme, calling us to a fresh start. And notice it's not anything to do with the sort of entrance fee. It's about embracing the with God life. The Sermon on the Mount, this is sort of kingdom living for disciples. This whole passage is all about what it means to be a disciple and to live in the kingdom of God. And these teachings are they're challenging, but they're meant to be a practical sort of ethic for how to, how to live as disciples in the present age. How do we live today? So I want to draw our attention to a couple things from Matthew. Verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. Uh, easy to just pass over this. Up the mountain, though, if you were thinking this is Jesus, this is Yahweh, the living God, we're going up a mountain. What's another time the people of God go up the mountain to encounter God? Right? Mount Sinai. This is, this is Mount Sinai. Kind of moment. People come up to meet with God, to hear from him. What happens at Mount Sinai? God... Uh, writes the law on the stone, right? To people, first of all, people don't come, they don't want to come at 
it's pretty scary. So Moses just goes, right? And then the idea is God's word or instruction comes down off the mountain to the people. Well, here, God is bringing his faithful up the mountain. And instead of words in stone, we get new living Torah spoken through Yahweh, through Jesus himself. And it's meant to, meant to be lived out. It's this fresh instruction lived out in their lives. So here's Jesus now. New Torah, new law. He sits, which is the typical posture for rabbi teaching. When we teach, we have to, I'm standing right now, obviously. Uh, it would be nice if I could just sit. I guess I could. There's nothing. There's only my own expectations saying, don't sit. Nick. But anyway, that's the, the teaching posture of the rabbi. So he sits. He starts teaching the disciples. They never, I had noticed this before. He's teaching the disciples, not just whoever. But he's particularly teaching uh, the faithful, the committed people. Verse 2 and 3, uh, he opens his mouth, he starts teaching them, and he says, blessed. Each of these are the blessed. It's a familiar passage, right? Blessed are these, blessed are those. Blessed are those. Blessed are those. To be blessed is much more than just sort of uh, fleeting feeling. Like, I think good right now. Oh, I'm so blessed because I feel happy with my life, you know? But it's actually a, a state of well-being beyond sort of temporary or fleeting happiness. There's a sense of abiding blessedness. God has moved in my life. My life is better because of knowing him, what he's done in me. So blessed are those, and you'll find out, most of these situations are not happy situations that Jesus, that Jesus is, is uh, talking about, right? These are all situations that are difficult, and yet we find life and meaning as we abide with God. This is a fresh start. And so he goes through a few here. We have a, a new state of well-being because we're secure in Jesus. I think I'll just drop them together. There they are. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, poor in spirit. Sorry, I feel this morning. <laughs> poor in spirit means to recognize our spiritual bankruptcy. It means realizing I can't on my own earn my salvation. I can't on my own actually really change my own life a whole lot. I find that I continue. It's like what Paul says. I do the things I know I shouldn't do. I keep going back and doing the stuff I know better than. Right? This is me. I'm sure it's you too. There's things in my life I know I shouldn't do. There's things I know I shouldn't say. There's patterns of living. The way I act towards my wife, the way I act towards my kids, the way I spend my own personal free time, where I have a choice to make between doing something life-giving and doing something less than. And far too often I pick the less than. Right? I realize I'm spiritually bankrupt without Jesus coming and transforming my heart. So blessed are the poor in spirit, those that realize they don't have it together. Those that realize they don't, they can't earn it. That feel so broken. Recognize our weakness. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who realize they don't earn it, they don't deserve it, but receive it as a free gift through Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the morning. This can be spiritual or emotional, whatever it might be. Those that are feeling a sense of loss. When we're in a place of recognizing our loss, we often are open to receive God's healing. Blessed are the morning. They'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek or the, or the gentle. They'll inherit the earth. These are those that don't assert themselves to kind of uh, further just their own agendas, but to be meek means to trust God for the outcome of events in your life. How often do you say, Lord, 
I need your help in this situation, this outcome in my life, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna control it to make it out how I want it to be. Right? I'm gonna take that thing by the rope and make it do what I want. Right? But Meek says, yes, I'll do my part, but I trust God ultimately to work this thing out in my life. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be satisfied. There's the sense of recognizing God's the ultimate source of right living. Oh, I long to see this lived out. Blessed are the merciful. They'll receive mercy. Merciful people show kindness and forgiveness to others. And as we live that out, so often people are willing to give it back to us as they see our hearts. The pure in heart, verse 8. They'll see God. We see this fulfilled ultimately in Revelation 22, verse 4. For Jesus, purity of heart is a lot more important than your external or ritual purity. Again, calls us back to Micah 6, 6, 8. What's going on in your heart as you follow God is more important than just what you do on the outside to try and earn His favor. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. They're called sons of God. Those that promote God's peace is shalom, working towards flourishing and life of people and of societies. Their ultimate reward is to be the children of God, reflecting the character of their heavenly Father. Here's a good one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11 is very simple. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God's pleased when we can show him we actually value him above everything else in the world. We remain faithful in opposition. Just as as Jesus experienced opposition in his life, so will his disciples. It's just, there it is. So the call here is to a new sort of life where the weak, the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek, those that are hungry for righteousness, those that are merciful and gentle, those that are pure of heart, those that are the peacemakers. These are the, man, these sound like people who it's easy to overlook. The daily, ordinary sort of people just going about their lives who are recognizing the brokenness in their own lives, the brokenness in their own hearts. And yet, as we come into faith with Jesus, as we come into faith with God, in his kingdom, being weak's okay. Being in mourning will lead to comfort. Being meek, not being overly strong and aggressive and domineering is what inherits the earth. Being merciful is what gets you mercy. Being pure of heart is what leads to God. And just like Micah, it's not dutiful observance and sacrifice upon sacrifice, but instead it's as we abide in God, as we live in Him, as we seek to love love faithfulness and walk humbly, pursue justice, we find this is how we meet God. God is meeting us here in the place of our weakness, in the place of our brokenness, and bringing about new life. Maybe this morning you're in a place where you feel poor in spirit, where you feel like you're in mourning. 
Maybe you have a deep desire for righteousness and it drives you nuts when the world seems to be falling apart. Maybe you long for things to be made right, for peace to be made. Both externally, maybe, between countries, but also in your family, in your marriage, in your workplace. It's a war zone. Maybe you're being persecuted for your faith. God meets us in these places. We're blessed when in our weakness we open our hearts to the stuff of the living God who longs to be with us. And it's not just a change for ourselves, it's not just a new life of God for us, but this pours out and affects other people. And that's what verse 13 and 14 are about. We get this great metaphor, the salt and light metaphors. It's really good because salt, he says, it, he says you're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its taste, how shall, it, how shall its saltiness be restored? You can't really. It's no good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled under people's feet. The idea is you're the salt of the earth. Salt's used for uh, preserving, but also <laughs> for seasoning. You didn't know if in your mind salt has just become evil. <laughs> you added salt. <gasps> the meal's ruined. Yeah. So much, so much salt. Salt's actually really, <laughs> I remember listening to something. <laughs> it's on the radio one time. They're talking about like issues of too much salt and blah blah in our diets, right? And how it bad and all this kind of stuff. So people were like calling in and talking about like salt issues in their lives. I was really weird. I was working on the tree nursery at the time, had a radio on, so I was like doing trees. So I was like, what are we talking about? It's all. Anyway, this one guy phoned in and was like, yeah, every meal I have, I take salt, put it on my food. And the guy doing the interview was like, oh, okay. You know, he's waiting, he wants everyone to say how the salt's bad. This guy's like, yeah, I have salt every day. It's good. And they're like, okay, thanks for calling. Sorry, you don't, you don't fit our narrative. <laughs> The idea here is the salt, it keeps things good, but salt brings out the flavors of food, right? Brings out the natural flavors of the food. The idea is, as disciples of Jesus, this is a Eugene Peterson metaphor, he says we're called to bring out the God flavors in the world. We're called to influence the world for good. We need to cultivate hope in our churches and in our homes, in the academy and in the marketplace. So we were at our our last ACOP retreat in the fall. I was talking to Jerry Schutz, who's in charge of the Global Harvest Missionary stuff at ACOP. And so, like, this is a guy, like, they're used to sending people around the world. He knows all about unreached people groups and, like, all kinds of, like, mission stuff, right? Like, go and get lost and out there. <laughs> I always felt kind of kind of weird around that whole emphasis because I was like, I just, I just want to stay home. <laughs> I don't want to go. I'm scared. And, uh, but he said this really great thing. He said the most important place of your discipleship, because he was asking about our kids, and he said the most important discipling you have to do right now is with your kids. It's not about going off to Africa or whatever. God's called you to be a dad. The place of your mission is right at home. That's being salt. You're called to be salt. You don't have to go out somewhere to go different country to go be salt. You're called to be salt as soon as you step outside the door, head home. How can you bring out the good things that God's already doing in people's lives and bring that out to fullness. How can you partner with God in the work he's already doing and like salt bring out the flavors of that as you partner with him? God's already doing great things in your life. He's doing great things in your family. There's, there's evil and sin and all of that, but there's also incredible blessing. How are you, like salt, called to point people towards that? 
that's why the salt and light are held together, right? Light's the same sort of thing. It, it points towards something. It enlivens something. You need light to see color. And so, in the same way, how can we point people to Jesus as salt, bringing out the good things that are already there, or as light pointing out Jesus in the darkness? I remember that we need people here, all people here being salt and light all over the place, not just like pastors doing stuff, but like people everywhere. I remember when I first, um, when I first was asked to pastor here at the church, I was, since of course, working at Trainer Street, and uh, when I told them that I'd been asked to come on board, they were like, well, that's great, that's the thing you like train for, right? Like you went to Bible school for that. And it always kind of struck me because when I, when I thought of going to Bible school, it wasn't to get a job, it was just to go to Bible school. Sounds ridiculous, right? We're like, go get the job, like take the education, get you the job. That's what you do, you know. And I just, I was like, God called me to go. I don't know what happens afterwards. I'm go to Bible school. I don't know. Um, and some people really criticize that about Bible school, like, well, they're not pumping out enough pastors, you know. But then I think about passages like this, about salt and light. I think, but we need faithful Christian disciples in every field, like all over the place, living this out. So it's okay if someone goes to Bible school and then goes into, like, nursing or goes into, like, anything. <laughs> Versus, like, well, the helpful thing, like, nursing. Well, that one's okay. Or teaching, that's helpful. What if they just go and become, like, a helicopter mechanic? Well, brilliant. God likes helicopters, too. It's okay. He created mechanics. That's how it works. We need people to be salt and light wherever they've been planted. So people said, you know, well, you've been you've trained in Bible school. Off you go. It's always just like, I guess so. But that wasn't really the, the idea. The idea was to go away so you faithfully live up the gospel wherever God's planted us. And that's the call here for us. In our, in our brokenness, all these blessings where we recognize how weak we are, it's in our weakness that we can be the salt and light that points people to God. Not in our sort of external religiosity, as Micah 6, 6, and 7 would be about. Look how much crazy religious stuff I did. Does that point people to God? No, it's actually as you work out a faith with God in the midst of everyday life that you need the salt and light that you want to see. And the light is this great metaphor, right? Jesus' disciples had a living testimony. They're going to illumine the world, point people back to the Father in the middle of the darkness. That's how light works. So I want to ask, just as we wrap things up, there's kind of this, this question. Whoa, that went all over the place, didn't it? There's the salt. Right? What do we do with this? Some have said all of these things, the blessed and the being in salt and light and all of that, it's just like an impossibly high moral standard that you can never do hard. And so it's just meant to make you read it and then you feel terrible. It's like, who read, who wrote that? It's a terrible idea. This point of the Bible is to make you feel really down on yourself. Uh, it's not that. It's not. It, it is a. It is a high moral standard. It's not meant to make you feel terrible. It's meant to be lived today in Jesus. What's the next slide, Lord? Here's the thing that I want you to think about: the attitudes. Verse one to eleven. This is the nature of our lives in the kingdom: is to image God's character. When you are poor in spirit, as you are seeking to be righteous, as you are hunger and thirsting, all of those beatitude things. How can those be an invitation for you to live out the gospel and to live out being salt and light, which means to be a witness for God in the world that needs it? Is that my last slide? Oh no, there's more. 
Of these Beatitudes, here's what I want to end on. Is there one of these? And I would encourage you to go home, read through the Beatitudes passage again slowly, verses 1 to 11. Is there one of these that really is standing out to you that you think, man, that's where I am right now? I'm in mourning, or I feel poor in spirit, or maybe you're doing okay, but you're hungry for more. Is there something that God is inviting you to live into and to press into in whatever season you're in right now? So that's a more reflective, internal kind of question for your own kind of spiritual formation. Here's the second one, which is a bit more of a missional, outreach, active kind of question. How can you be salt and light where God's planted you today? So what is the, what is the meal before you that God is inviting you to bring out his flavors in? <laughs> or what, where's the darkness in your life that God's inviting you to be a light for him? Is there something in your workplace that's just not good that you need to speak into? Is there a relationship you have with someone that's not great that God's inviting you to, um, to engage with? Is there, is there something going on in your world, at school, in your own heart, whatever it might be where, where God's inviting you to live a different sort of way? And here's the, here's the kind of the big question at the end of this is... Um, at the end of the day, you're here at church this morning. You made the decision to be here. <laughs> you weren't forced to be here. Well, maybe you weren't. You're coming to church. Aren't starting it. Most of you uh, made the choice to be here. Um, did you come here just because you thought like it would be kind of a good thing to do? Because that's not really a good reason to come. Like That's a Micah 6, 6, and 7 kind of thing. That's a, well, I'll do this good thing so that I feel like God will like me. Um, that's not a good reason for coming here. I mean, I'm glad you're here. Like, I love that you're here. And, I'm, and I get excited when the pews are, like, fairly full. Like, have you noticed? The church is kind of growing lately. Well, it has been for one year. Um, that's great. And maybe you came with a terrible motive, and that's okay, too. But um, the reason we gather is not just to make God like us more, because we want to say thank you to God. Because we want to gather as people and, and worship Him and express our love together as a family. So I want to ask this. If you came this morning because it's just another list of like religiously spiritual things that you like to do so you feel good about yourself, that's not a great reason. That's a like a six, six and seven kind of reason. I'm going to do this stuff uh, because hopefully that's what God wants me to do. Rather, I hope you come. I hope you not just come to church, but I hope you are fostering a life with God and growing in faith with Jesus not just to kind of be a better person, but because you want to be transformed by the living God. And you know there's things in your life that you need to lay down and you need him to come and transform you. It's not just about sort of doing things to kind of feel better about yourself and look good to other people. That's wrong motives. But if you're coming because you're poor in spirit, you want to learn how to walk humbly and to live in Jesus and let him come and minister to your life, that's a good reason not just to come to church, that's a good reason to pursue a life with Jesus, period. Not just to kind of get a benefit because you want him to come and transform your life. You need to be saved. You want to experience the salvation life and forgiveness of God. You know you're broken. There's all kinds of guilt and shame in your life. God wants to wipe all of that and he invites you to a fresh start. So let's pray. Let's stand together. We're going to pray. And let's invite God to to take a look at our hearts, ask him to open up your hearts and, and, and point out is there things there that that have just become a 
can do it in kind of a wrong way? Or is there a, you know, is he calling you to a deeper sort of life, a new life for you? Maybe there's places in your life where you're called to be salt and light. Let's pray for, for energy and wisdom and strength to live that calling out loud. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we thank you for the fresh start that you invite us into. Uh, that in you, Lord, as we repent, as we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and that when we are in you, Lord, uh, the old is gone, the new has come. We're a new creation. Um, Jesus, as we live into that, you, you come and address our motives, Lord. And that's what a lot of this passage is about, who we are and how we understand you in the midst of everyday life. Lord, it's far too easy for us to have an attitude like, like Micah points out, where we just we do these things simply because we think we should, but we miss out on an inner life with you, a real change, a transformation, a relationship with you, Jesus. And so this morning, I pray for those who are, who are searching, who are seeking. If you are here this morning and you want to know Jesus, you want to lay down your sin and come into a new life with him, it's a simple saying, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sin. I believe you rose again from the grave. I walked to be in you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that is seeking and knocking and searching and has prayed that prayer, Lord, would you appoint them to you? Would you come alongside them? Would you help them to plug into a church? Maybe this church, maybe another church. But Lord, come alongside those that are seeking. Point them to yourself, Jesus. And Lord, for those of us that have maybe been in faith for a long time, we've been walking with you for years, it's easy for these things to just become so routine, they lose some of their meat, they lose some of the, uh, the beauty and the joy of, of coming and being part of church and pursuing you and growing in you. Lord, some of us this morning, we feel poor in spirit, we feel weak, we're seeking to live for you, we're seeking righteousness, we're hungry for you. Lord, these Beatitudes fit, fit us, each and every one of us, no matter where we're at. And Lord, as we recognize our weakness, I pray that you would indeed come, bring comfort, bring holiness, bring transformation in our lives. Help us to see that it doesn't come just by doing more sacrifices, doing more stuff, but by coming and giving our lives to you. And Lord, as we come, as we lay down the burdens in our lives, the, the issues in our lives, as we actively seek you, Lord, to transform us, I pray that it would spill out in a new life for others, just as these passages indicate, Lord, a, a love for people, to pursue justice, and love mercy, and to walk humbly with you, God. Not apart from you, but in relationship with you. And as we do that, Lord, you call us to be salt and light. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone who's here today. We all have places we are going to go tomorrow, whether it's at home with kids or grandkids, or it's to work, or it's to school, or maybe, we, maybe we're on our own, but we have neighbors, there's people in our lives, we still have groceries to go get, there's taxes to think about, there's life to live. Lord, you call us to be salt wherever you've planted us, bringing out the good things that you're already doing, pointing people to you. Lord, for some of us, the places you planted us are full of darkness. There's all kinds of stuff going on. We pray that you would help us to be a light 
not because we are somehow really, really great, really, really capable, but rather, Lord, because you live within us. And you call us to point people to you. So, Lord, I pray for those who are feeling a, a discouragement in their souls, that you would rejuvenate and revive, just as we sung this morning, Lord, you would revive us with that fire, that you would rejuvenate us, Lord, by your spirit. That's our, our inner call. But, Lord, I pray also for this outer call, that wherever you've planted us, whoever you've put alongside us, Lord, we would be willing to respond obediently, to be salt and light, to point people to you, Jesus, to be able to speak of our salvation, even in our weakness, as these Beatitudes point to. Even in the place of mourning and suffering, we can still experience your comfort, and people see that. And can point Lord, bless your people here today. I pray that you would make a fresh start in us. Help us to put aside our sin. Help us to put aside uh, the habits that we need to lay down and to take on the fresh life that you have for us. And in the words you taught us, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on the earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Friends, before you go, I just wanted to mention again, uh, prayer tonight at 7.30, if you'd like to come. Um, those that were 